welcome to this week's 10 minute recap. So today our assigned reading for the week was Job chapter 1 to 28. So let's go over what happened in those chapters. Job chapter one, we meet Job, who was a righteous and a wealthy man. Job loved God, he loved his family, and he was concerned with his family's spiritual well-being, even arranging sacrifices for his grown children to ensure that they were also right with God. Now, we're then given insight into a heavenly meeting between the angels and God and the adversary or Satan. So God brings Job up to the adversary and Satan makes the claim that Job only loves God because he's wealthy, because he has so much and he's he lives in security. So God then allows Satan to test this theory. We're told in one day, Satan causes Job to lose all of his wealth, which was in the form of oxen, donkeys, sheep, and camels. And most devastatingly of all, Job's children die in a natural disaster. And what of Job? Well, in his great grief, he worships God. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So we're shown clearly that if we're assuming that this is somehow God's job to make sure that we're wealthy and that everything in our lives goes perfectly, then we would be wrong. That's not God's job at all. Job chapter two then takes us back to another heavenly meeting. So Satan says that Job hasn't cursed God because Job is still healthy. He's still protected, at least in that sense. And the end result is that God allows Satan to take away Job's health. Uh, Job gets sores all over his body. And at this point, his wife seems to have a break. She's had enough. She ends up speaking for Satan in a sense. She says in verse nine and 10, are you still maintaining your integrity? curse God and die. Now Job's reply is interesting. Uh, He says, you're speaking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and, and not trouble? Now Job's friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar also arrive to mourn with him and they sit in silence for seven days, which is, you know, it's quite the show of solidarity. Now, Job chapter three sees Job begin to speak and he curses the day that he was born. He essentially asks two questions. Why was I even born? And why do people who want to die still live? So at this point, Job wants to die. He isn't cursing God, but he is confused about God. Why is God still giving him life? Why not just let him die? Job four and five then contain the reply of Eliphaz, uh, to Job and and he's replying to him cursing the day of his birth and it seems to start out okay but pretty soon we realize that Eliphaz is actually indicting Job with sin. So first Eliphaz reminds Job how he has encouraged others when they had gone through suffering. So now Job needs to rest on his piety, on his purity before God because Eliphaz says the innocent and the upright do not get destroyed by God. Do you see where this is going now? So because the innocent and upright don't get destroyed by God, something must be amiss in Job's life. After all, Eliphaz argues, even the angels aren't spared from judgment. So men absolutely aren't spared then. Eliphaz believes that Job needs to appeal to God because God is correcting him and then God would heal him. 
Now in Job 6 and 7, Job does not take this accusation well. He's done everything that God has told people to do. He hasn't harbored willful sin against God, but rather he's confessed and sacrificed for his sin regularly. So these chapters reveal that Job believes that God had caused this suffering and that Job wants to die because he's afraid that his suffering is actually going to lead him to sin against God. Job asks these questions of God. If I have sinned, what have I done to you, you who see everything we do? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For soon I will lie down in the dust. You will search for me, but I will be no more. In Job 8, Bildad responds to Job and he's offended for God. He asserts that God doesn't pervert justice that Job's children died because of their own sins, which we, the reader, know isn't true. That's not the case. But to them, it seems like the only answer. So for Bildad, he asserts that everything has a cause. And because God is just, the cause of this calamity must be evil in Job and his children's lives. In Job 9 to 10, Job replies to this. He doesn't deny the idea that God upholds the innocent, but he questions how man can truly interact with God at all since they're on such different levels. So how could Job plead his case before a God he cannot see or cannot perceive? So Job put puts forward that as an innocent man, he's been destroyed. So sometimes God does treat innocent people the same way he would treat guilty people. And Job doesn't know why. So he mourns that there isn't a mediator that could be a go-between between him and God. Job wants God to tell him the charges against him. Why has Job become God's enemy? In Job 11, Zophar has his turn to speak. And it's really... It's not pretty. Zophar claims that Job is mocking God, which only proves how very sinful he is. He tells Job to devote his heart to God in repentance, and then God will restore him. Then in Job 12 to 14, Job responds again. Clearly, Job has had enough of his friend's speeches. He's let the, He lets them know that they're all basic. It's not that he doesn't understand what they're saying. He gets it. He's not dumb. He's not inferior to them. It's just that what they're saying, what they have always believed, it, it doesn't apply in his case. So Job wants to hear an answer from God and his friends are making it worse. They're claiming to speak for God when they've actually got the situation all wrong. By chapter 13, Job says, keep silent and let me speak. Then let come to me what may. So this idea that he may die for speaking so boldly to and with God. He says, why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. So Job doesn't know what's going on, but he trusts enough to hope in the character of God. He asks God to please stop tormenting him and just speak with him. In Job 15, Eliphaz has another chance to speak. And he basically says that what Job has said has condemned him already. He's proud. He's angry. And this is a textbook case of what happens to wicked people. In Job 16 to 17, Job tells his friends that they're miserable comforters and that they have repetitive arguments. So Job laments that on top of the suffering he's already going through, now he has to deal with new abuse from his friends. Job then does something really interesting. He calls his very lifeblood to be 
a witness for him. So think back to Cain and Abel in Genesis when God says to Cain that Abel's blood screams to him from the ground where it was spilt as a witness against Cain. In Job 18, Bildad accuses Job of speaking endlessly in his own pride. Basically, what makes you so special that God should change all of reality to deal with your case? The wicked suffer, the righteous prosper. Job replies in chapter 19. Job's incredulous. This is unbelievable to him. Not only is God after him, but now those who loved him in life are after him too. He's still steadfast in his belief that God will answer him. In Job 20, Zophar acknowledges the dishonor that Job is throwing their way. And then he describes the stereotypical wicked person to Job and basically does the old, does that sound familiar to you, Job? In Job 21, Job tells them that if they would just really listen to him, then he will take that as comfort, the comfort that they should have given him in the first place. So just listen to me. He puts forward the age-old issue. We all know that wicked men do prosper and live. So how can you console me with your nonsense about me being wicked as the only explanation for my pain? In Job 22, Eliphaz accuses Job of specific sins. So it's moved from the general, you must be evil, to, all right, now, uh, let me tell you how I think you are evil particularly. And the accusations are still kind of general because he really had no proof that Job did any of these things, but these would have made a previously wealthy man like Job guilty for destruction. So basically he accuses him of treating people poorly with his wealth, not sharing it, demanding pledges for loans, not helping widows, and even persecuting orphans. He encourages Job to repent of these things. So Job then speaks in Job 23 to 24, but we see him become more reflective. So rather than directly responding to his friends, there were really, there's a, a few really cool things that he does. Uh, now I mentioned these on last year's recap, but I think they're worth repeating. So Eliphaz had ended his chapter, his speech by saying, return to God. And then Job responds by saying, if I only knew where to find him, if I only could go to his dwelling. Eliphaz had also said that God would become Job's gold and silver, his treasure. But Job flips, flips this in his response. He says, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept his way without turning aside. In Job 25, Bildad is short and sweet. He basically restates that no man can actually be righteous before God. Job 26 is Job's response, and it's really dripping with sarcasm. He basically goes, oh, how you have helped the powerless. Bildad, you're amazing, and you don't understand God. In Job 27, Job repeats his case. So God had done this to him despite his innocence, and then adds in, may my enemies be like the wicked, which, ouch. Remember, it's Job's friends that are his enemies at this point. And Job goes on to quote all the terrible things that they have said happened to the wicked. Now, finally, in Job 28, Job delivers a poem or monologue on where wisdom can be found, talking about how deep and wide people will go mining the earth for precious metals, for these treasures of the earth, and yet none of these things can buy wisdom. It's God alone who has wisdom, and to fear him is wisdom. All right, there we go. That's our recap for today. 
Uh, obviously, you've noticed I'm not in the studio. I'm at home again today. We've had a couple of really, really busy weeks in our family and at work, so this was when I could squeeze in time to do the recap. I hope you don't mind. Uh, if you have any comments or questions about Job, pop them down in the comment section below. And until next week, happy reading, happy studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.